Hope you're all doing well. Thank you for coming out, even in the rain. And uh, we're very blessed to have you with us here in person, as well as those who are worshiping with us online. And we're very thankful to have our visitors with us. You're very special to us. You mean a lot to us. And we're very glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. And we hope to see you again. And uh, we want to remind you of a couple of things. You'll hear these also later in the announcements next Sunday at 3, we're going to have a memorial service for Brother Glenn, and uh, we won't have our normal evening service, so that's next Sunday at 3. We want to encourage everybody to be here, and I just think that's a very special thing that our elders are making sure we do that to uh, remember him, to honor uh, his life of service to God, and uh, he served in this congregation and others and had such a wide range of influence for the kingdom, and we are so thankful that God blessed this world with Brother Cogburn. And also, we started back not only on Sunday nights, but Wednesday nights at 7, and on Wednesdays, we're in the fellowship building, and it's a different format, so we want to encourage you to come out for that time. The youth still do meet in the youth house for, uh, for class, and so we want to encourage you to be a part of that as well. We all have a desire for better, don't we? And on this slide, look at some of these pictures. There's a number of things that we have a natural human desire for better in different things in our lives. And it's okay, a better house, a better uh, job maybe, a better, uh, uh, better friends perhaps, better car. Maybe you're tired of it breaking down and wearing out on you and smoking and popping and you'd like to have a better car, better something. Uh, there's, there's always a desire within us for better. And most of the time, those things are fine. Nothing in the world wrong with uh, saying, hey, when I can, I want to have something better than whatever this item is or this situation. We long for better adventures, better, uh, better, better uh, things to do, better experiences. And those things in general, like I said, are okay to, to want and uh, to have. But if we really think about it, almost all of those things are earthly and temporary. They really don't have much to do with our eternal life. Now, is it okay for, uh, to upgrade in a vehicle, for example, or if you've outgrown your, your home, you've, uh, you look up and you have four children, and when you bought the house, you had no children, and now <laughs> you don't fit? You know, those things, those things can be okay. But what I want us to think about is in our life when it comes to uh, better spiritually. Now, we've just gotten through this year, this previous year, of wishing uh, we could get back to normal, and normal would be better, right? With the social distancing, a terrible virus, the damage and loss that that's caused, the, the face masks and all the lockdowns and restrictions and difficulty in our economy and in our own lives that that's called. So, in that case, normal was better. We just wanted to get back to that, and by and large, we have. But it's also, uh, it's also been a time when we could have easily drifted and stagnated in our faith, and we need to get to a place of better. Is that right? You know, it's been easy to kind of sit back and take it easy when church was all, uh, when we were assembling just online. You know, it sure gets easy and comfortable, and your routine uh, settles, you settle into a new routine when you're sitting on the couch and you got your coffee next to you, and you didn't even have to brush your hair or get dressed. You just plop on the couch and 
and start worshiping. And that was, that was good, and I'm glad we had that ability for that time being and, and still now for those who, who need that for health reasons. But there's a time, a time comes to get back to better, right? And better is assembling in person the way uh, God has designed his church to do. But during that time, it's been easy to kind of, kind of drift and stagnate in our faith. So that, that's what I want us to talk about this morning because we're still in our series and we have one more left. We're in our series. If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus is greater than. That's what we're looking at this morning. If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus is greater than. So what is better? And we're looking at Jesus being that greater than, that better than in our lives. Now the term Lord, it's ascribing and describing the divinity of Jesus when that term is used of Jesus. In fact, the disciples first started calling Jesus Lord when Thomas touched the wounds of Jesus when he appeared to them after his death, burial, and resurrection. And do you remember what Thomas said when he, he we call him Doubting Thomas, but what did he proclaim after he touched the wounds of Jesus? In John 21, 28, he said, My Lord and my God. One of the most strong, strongest proclamations of who Jesus is and a testimony to who he is. He says, my Lord and my God. You see, Jesus is Lord of all, the Bible says. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is Lord of lords. And the term Lord was used in different ways, but when used about Jesus, when used about God, it depicts the true triune nature of of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so to say that Jesus is Lord is to say Jesus is God in the sense of God, the, the triune God, God, Father, and Holy Spirit. And so if that's the case, and it is, then Jesus is greater than all these things in our life. Those things that, even those things that we pursue, experiences, adventures, things, that, are, that can be fine and not a problem at all, Jesus is greater than those things. He's also greater than the problems and the sins and the, the calamity and all the challenges and all the drama. He's greater than all that stuff that we deal with while we live on earth as well. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And I'm going to read through the verses we're going to look at today. Then we'll go back and walk through and make some points. So you can follow along with me in Hebrews chapter 2. And the author writes, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God... Uh, also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he has made him like he had to be made like his brothers in every respect." so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, so go back to verses 1 through 3. And What do you notice at the very beginning that the author is urging us? He's making a very... Uh, strong point that he's urging us to get, to grasp right here at the very beginning. This vital point, he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention. So whatever attention you think you're paying to the message of Jesus, to the words of God, to Christ himself, the author is urging us, pay much closer attention, more careful attention to the things that you've heard. And we ask, well, why? Why do we have to do that? And he says, so that you don't drift away. And so he's urging us in this chapter, pay attention to the things that you've heard. Pay attention to the word of God, to the message of Jesus. So what does it mean to drift? What does it mean to drift? It's often used to refer to something that slips from our grasp and, and, and originally one of the ways of thinking about that was like a ring that slipped off of a finger. It, it, this idea of it drifted off or in the sense of a boat that drifted past the dock and didn't make it in. You see? And so the captain wasn't paying attention and he drifted by before he could turn in and dock the boat. So that's how that's used. The words literally mean uh, it literally means to flow past, like that boat might flow past or a ring might flow off of the finger. Now, Christians can do the same thing in our faith, can't we? We do the same thing. It's so easy. We look up and we've drifted and we didn't even know it was happening. If you've ever been out uh, in the, in, at the beach in the ocean and you've been out there playing in the water and you're playing and, and you look up and what's happened? Probably... You remember, hey, I got in the water down there, and you realize, but now I'm over here. Why? Because that current comes, and it moves you as you're playing, as you're enjoying yourself, and you drift over. Sometimes you realize you've drifted out too far. 
And so we've got to pay attention to drift, and that can happen in our faith. And that's what we want to encourage this morning. So the Hebrew writer means here that we should pay, here's another way of putting those words, the closest possible attention to the urgency of the message. So he's saying we got to pay more careful attention. We need to pay the closest possible attention to the message of Jesus. And so probably all of us could work on that. If you're like me at all, all of us could do better at paying more careful attention to the words of Christ. So this year, like I said, it's been easy to drift. And I want to encourage us as you know, we're kind of getting close to starting school back. Summer's coming to an end really soon and kind of a different transition for a lot of people. But uh, we need to think about, have I drifted in my faith? And you can come to church all the time and still drift in your faith. Just because your body is present doesn't mean you're present in worship and actively engaged in worshiping God. And so when we start to drift, everything else follows. That's the dangerous thing about drift. When we start to drift in not paying attention to the message of Jesus, not paying as close attention as possible, and then other things, everything else in our life starts to follow. The Bible says when we drift from paying close attention to what we've heard, meaning the message of Jesus, we drift away from it. What's the it? The message of Jesus. Well, when you drift from the message, you drift from the what? The messenger. When you drift from the messenger, you drift from his church. And so we can't take that lightly and say, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. I go to church all the time. Well, we've all known people who seem like solid Christians, and as the years went by and as life happened, they drifted away from their faith. We probably have all have people in our family, all know people who've gone through that. And so the, the author is urging us, don't drift in your faith. And it starts with paying close attention to the message of Jesus. Now look at verse number, numbers 2 and 3. Uh, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? See, you can miss heaven. You can miss out on heaven by never obeying the gospel, by turning away from Christ. You can also miss out on heaven, the author's telling us, by doing what? Neglecting your salvation. That's a scary thought because that's kind of the easy one to do, isn't it? Get comfortable, get relaxed, and you don't think about it. You go through the motions and you punch the time clock and you look up and oops, you're not all that strong anymore. And now the storms of life come and they're challenging you and beating against the boat and your faith isn't strong like it used to be or like it should be. See, neglect here means to make light of. Now that, to me, when I start understanding what neglect means, that makes it a little more scary to me. It, it means to make light of. And that's pretty concerning because it's easy to make light of something, isn't it? To not take it very seriously. And that's what the author is telling us to do. Don't make light of your faith. The Bible's not saying... Uh, uh, treat your faith like that engine light that comes on in your car. And you just say, oh, as long as it's not blinking. Or we say, oh, they make them to do that so you'll go in and spend money, right? That's what we think. 
But something may really be wrong. See, he's saying, don't, this isn't just an engine light. This is your salvation. Don't take it lightly. Don't neglect it. Don't drift away. And we drift away from Jesus when we don't pay close attention to his message. And before we know it, when we're not paying close attention to it, what are we doing? We're taking it lightly. And the author is begging us, pleading with us not to do this. Look at verses 9 through 10. The author is urging us to remember what our faith is all about here in these verses. But we see him, who? Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering. See, we could look over at Philippians 2, and that's a powerful passage about uh, Jesus and his sacrifice and how God exalted him because of his obedience. And, and that's a good companion scripture to this one because that's what it's saying. It's God exalted him to glory and honor because of his suffering, because he willingly uh, uh, suffered, came to this earth, left what he had in heaven willingly to suffer on our behalf. And because of that, he was willing to do God's will. God has given him all glory and honor. And then look at that. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Why? Because now we don't have to taste the death that we were destined to taste, to experience that bitterness of death because he took on that for us. Now we have that salvation through him and don't have to experience that. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory. So this is a, 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 a signal, this is a statement saying Jesus is God's only begotten son, but he's also bringing many sons. That means all of us that follow him, many sons to glory, should be made the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus suffered on our behalf for our sins and for our salvation because he was obedient. He was crowned with that glory and honor. And so, uh, do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? See, this, how did Jesus suffer? He didn't just suffer on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane there in Mark chapter 14, it tells us that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled because he knew what was about to happen. And what did he say? My soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. And then Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22, uh, he tells the disciples to pray so they don't fall into temptation. He goes off by himself to pray. And in verse 42, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then in verse 43, I had never noticed this before until uh, I was doing further study on this. Look at verse 43 in Luke 22. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven. God sent an angel to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Why did he do it? To strengthen him, Luke tells us. Now God didn't send the angel to say, there, there, Jesus, it's okay. You don't have to go through with it. Even though that's what Jesus had been praying, if there was any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So God sends him an angel to strengthen him, to say, you can get through this. I'm with you. You're going to make it through this to strengthen him to go through with what he had to go through. He didn't take it away in verse 44. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, we, we read, In the days of his flesh, 
Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That's what we just read about in in Mark and Luke. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard. God sent an angel to strengthen him. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He was willing to suffer in order to obey. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And then again in Hebrews 12, 2-4, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, thinking little of the shame, putting that aside and going to the cross with joy for our behalf because he knew what it meant for us and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that... You may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, so that you don't drift away. Don't ever forget what Jesus has done for you. Don't ever let the message of Jesus be boring, be dull, be, be, be uh, you know, old-fashioned or, or, or too minimum, too basic for you. That's exactly what needs to be on the forefront of our minds. He said, don't ever consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And then, he, and then the author tells us something in verse 4 here of chapter 12 of Hebrews that helps us, I think, in dealing with our sin. He said, in your struggle against sin... You have not resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. So no matter what you've been through in terms of temptations and sin, you hadn't shed your own blood. And who's he talking about? Jesus did, and he was perfect and without sin. He suffered to the point of death on a cross. You hadn't hadn't shed blood to deal with your sin. You think it's so hard to deal with the sin that you've got. You hadn't shed any blood. He shed his blood for you so that you can be saved. From that sin. Look at verses 14 through 18 on our yeah, on our next slide. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, talking about us who would follow him. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. You think Jesus doesn't know what you're dealing with? He can't relate to you? He was made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself suffered when tempted. Jesus was tempted. When he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Difference is he never sinned. So he partook in, his, in, the, in the flesh to be made like us. He understands what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be you, to live your life. He knows what you're dealing with. The good, the bad, and the ugly, Jesus understands. And and the author is urging us, don't drift. You know who Jesus is. You remember who he is when you obeyed the gospel, for those of you who are Christians. And, And don't drift away from the message of Christ. Why did he have to suffer and be made like us in every way? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest 
Now that's really important for us to understand so we understand really what Jesus is to us, the magnitude of what he did for us. Now this is the first time in scriptures Jesus is referred to as a high priest. Now the Jewish people would still have had high priests at the time in their, in their uh, you know, old covenant, under the old covenant. Now the high priest, if we know about how the Old Testament worked and the sacrifices then, he made propitiation on behalf of the sins of the people. And that was God's order under the old covenant that was set up. So it was to justify them before God. And the high priest did this once a year. But what he, what he did could not actually remove the sins of the people. So that's why God sent Jesus to finally and fully and ultimately remove the sins of the people for those who would turn to him. And so uh, all of the Old Testament uh, sacrifices of, the, Old Te of the, the high priest was a foreshadowing to who Jesus would be and what he would do for us. He was that perfect uh, sin sinless sacrifice up on the cross, that propitiation for the justice of God. He took our sins to heaven by his own blood and paid the price for us. And that's why he's the author and founder and finisher of our faith. And that's why he's the one for us to turn to. That's why he's the better alternative. We're looking for better in our life and nothing ever satisfies. Whether it's something fine and good to have, that can be, but all of that is temporary. Or something that's a temptation of the flesh, lust of this world, none of that ever satisfies. That's why Jesus is the better answer to all of those things. He's the only thing that can fully and completely satisfy. And in verse 18, because he suffered, in temptation and ultimately death, that's why he's able to help you. Because he knows what it's like to be you. He's been there, done that. And so instead of turning to other things, and I don't mean there isn't a need for uh, doctors and, and, and professionals, I don't mean that, but to other things, we need to turn to him, not drift from him, but go closer to him in order to grow closer to him in our faith. So do you see that the one who came to save us, who suffered for us, who understands us, who is able to help us, and who is the source of our salvation, he's the one we drift from. Why is it that we drift from the one who's able to help us? And when we think of it like that, we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But in practice, in life, that's oftentimes what we do. And the author of Hebrews is urging us, don't do that. Don't do that. So I want, I want to encourage us that the Hebrew author is urging us not to drift away from Jesus our Lord because Jesus is greater than your temptations. Jesus is greater than your sins. He's greater than your problems. He's greater than the drama and the controversy. He's greater than the politicians and the politics. He's greater than race. He's greater than all the hate and the evil. He's greater than all of that junk and stuff of this world. Jesus is greater than. And the author is saying, don't drift from the one who's greater than, the one who understands you, the one who can help you. If Jesus is Lord, you've got to believe that means he's greater than all the things I face in this life. Jesus is even greater than death. He conquered death. And we have that promise of salvation for those who are in Christ through baptism and remain faithful to him. 
I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that Jesus is greater than period? Nothing else, not greater than one thing, greater than period. That's what we want to help you grow in and help you believe and help you along your way in your walk with Christ. If there's any way we can help you this morning, maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you need to study. Maybe you need encouragement. But the thing I want you to, to, to leave you with is are you, are you drifting or determined? Because if you look at a boat, they're doing one thing or another, right? They're out there drifting, or you can tell if a boat is determined and on course and on mission. Drifting is out there just floating in the ocean. Whatever happens, happens, not in control, or are you determined in your faith, in your walk with Christ? Whatever your need is, we're here to help you. You can come forward now as we together stand and sing.